Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And in today's episode, I have my good friend, Professor Evangelos Pappas, is back on the podcast. So, Professor Pappas trained as a physiotherapist in Greece before pursuing a master's in orthopedic physical therapy at Quinnipiac University and a PhD in orthopedic biomechanics at NYU University in the United States. Prior to joining University of Sydney, he taught for 11 years at Long Island University Brooklyn campus in kinesiology, clinical decision-making, and musculoskeletal pathology and physiotherapy. Professor Pappas joined the University of Sydney as a senior lecturer in 2013, where he continues to lecture in the areas of musculoskeletal physiotherapy, and particularly as it relates to upper and lower extremities. He has been very active in musculoskeletal research. His research has been funded by the NIH and intramural grants. His main research interests are in the area of knee injury etiology, prevention, and rehabilitation. He has over 90 publications in peer-reviewed journals, and he has been interviewed on the radio as an expert on knee injuries. And in today's podcast, we discuss the editorial in the Sports Medicine Journal, Time for a Different Approach to Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injuries, Educate and Create Realistic Expectations. So in this episode, we discuss how patients interpret the practitioner's language and use of medical terminology surrounding ACL injury, strategies to communicate the medical management of ACL injury, to set realistic patient expectations, and sometimes that means being the bad guy, the limitations of the research in determining who will benefit from surgical versus conservative treatment for ACL injury, and physical therapy utilization and patient outcomes. So this is a great uh, conversation and one that I think if you work with people who have ACL injuries, this is something that needs to be discussed. So I really hope that you all enjoy this conversation. And of course, a big thank you to Professor Evangelos Pappas for sharing this editorial with us and his thoughts behind it. Hey, Evangelos, welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to have you back on again. It's great to be back, Karen. And for those of you who did not listen to the first, have you been on it? This is your third time or second? That's correct. Third time. Third time, yeah. Um, first one was from on satellite radio. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it was. That was like a long time ago. So if you if you haven't heard Evangelos's other podcasts, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to those and I'll have the I'll link to them in the show notes. Um, but just as a little background, so Evangelos is now currently at the University of Sydney in Australia, but he and I worked together many, many moons ago in New York City in an outpatient facility here in New York. So I always love uh, being able to catch up and also being able to have him share his knowledge on his research in ACLs. So thanks again, Evangelos, for coming back on. It's my pleasure. 
And today we're going to talk about an editorial that you wrote with Joshua Robert Zadro, which is in sports medicine. And it's called Time for a Different Approach to Anterior Cruciate Ligament Injuries, Educate and Create Realistic Expectations. So before we get into the bulk of the paper, what is the why behind this editorial? Uh, yep, and before we get to that, uh, again, you know, let me uh, thank uh, Joe Zadro, who's a, a really young and very promising uh, PT uh, researcher here at the University of Sydney. He did his PhD here in our faculty, and he's currently at the School of Public Health, producing really great research. So, so remember this name. Um, so, the uh, a lot of the inspiration for this editorial, Karen, uh, came from recent research. Uh, in the area of ACL, uh, which is really promising because it has given us very uh, unique insight. And we know things in the last two years that, that we were not even close to knowing uh, before that that have really changed uh, the way we treat ACL injuries. Uh, obviously, one of them, and, and I think we may have talked about that a couple of years ago in the other podcast, has to do with uh, work that came out uh, out of Aspetar and from the Oslo-Delaware study uh, that they are really now uh, have shown that you really need to wait a minimum of nine months after an ACL reconstruction before returning the athletes back to sports. Uh, really strong data from there. So, so I hope that really uh, uh, translates into clinical practice. And, and that uh, physiotherapists now uh, all over the world, they are following these guidelines because we do see this bulk of ACL re-ruptures, which is a really devastating problem happening early on. If you do wait uh, nine months to a year, then the risk goes down. Of course, there were other predictors there. Uh, but also a lot of, of the, uh, in addition to the research, a lot of the uh, um, discussions, in, especially in social media, around the role of conservative treatment and outcomes after an ACL reconstruction and surgery and how these are not optimal or at least they're not, uh, you know, what uh, frequently uh, our patients expect. Uh, and that's probably the other uh, reason we decided to write this because they, we have identified a big discrepancy between uh, the expectations of the patients and the research and the outcomes that uh, we know are, are produced after uh, either conservative or surgical treatment. Um, so one of the statistics that we cite in, in, in the editorial uh, has to do with uh, more than 90% of patients uh, who suffer an ACL tear uh, expect that they're not at increased risk for osteoarthritis after the injury. However, the research shows and has shown that consistently for at least, you know, we've known that for at least about 20 years, that the risk of developing uh, post-traumatic neosteoarthritis after an ACL injury really increases dramatically, regardless of whether you have surgery or conservative treatment. Um, so we really wanted to raise awareness around some of these issues, the discrepancies uh, between patient expectations and uh, frequently the language that clinicians are using, either surgeons or PTs, uh, to describe the outcomes after uh, an ACL tear. Um, and, and, you know, we, we thought we wrote a rather balanced uh, uh, editorial uh, in sports medicine. Um, again, nowadays writing balanced uh, uh, editorials is not very sexy anymore. You know, you, there is a lot of uh, attention going 
to people who describe more radical positions, but again, uh, in our group at least, we uh, are committed to uh, provide the best evidence uh, without having a, you know, without being ideologists. And let's talk a little bit about, you touched on it, the terminology issues. So yes. what, what is the terminology being used by, let's say, physiotherapists and surgeons? And what, what is it that patients or you know, people who have torn their ACL, what are they hearing? That's right, yeah. Um, see, again, remember, after you have a, a the typical ACL patient is, is somebody really young, really driven, very physically active. Very frequently, they have aspirations for becoming really good at the sport, even professionally, um, especially in the United States. The, a lot of, of high school athletes, they depend on being selected by universities and having full scholarships, which is the way, you know, to get a... a at university education. Um, so, so keep in mind that very frequently these patients, they are, uh, and of course, having the, the significant trauma that they know it's going to delay them for several months uh, is the other thing that affects their psychology. So it's very important that we support them uh, during these difficult times. Uh, we give the bigger perspective, you know, because they're very frequently these kids, uh, they, you know, these young athletes, they concentrate on the immediate consequences of this injury, but it's also very important that we provide them with accurate information. So I do think language like, uh, which may be used by orthopedic surgeons, like fixing your ACL, may not necessarily describe what happens after surgery. Um, language by physiotherapists who promote conservative treatment, suggesting that uh, I have a 100% you know, success rate in returning you to sports uh, with the conservative protocol also is not supported very strongly by, by the data that we have. We actually know that uh, in some of the studies, and there was one RCT actually published uh, comparing uh, conservative treatment to surgery, and, and but also some older studies, uh, cohort studies, that they demonstrate that those who follow conservative treatment initially, either randomized or for any other reasons, a large percentage of them, sometimes more than 40%, they decide to jump ship and have uh, an ACL reconstruction uh, to a large extent and because they're not happy with the outcomes. Uh, they're either not willing to change the lifestyle and give up some of the pivoting sports. Um, and of course, all this is a bit doom and gloom, you know, especially when you talk to an 18 year old. Um, and we have to be very careful with, you know, non, how, how we uh, express this information and how we, we communicate this information. Um, but, but that's the reality, and the reality is that if you tear your ACL, uh, it's not going to be fixed. It's not going to be as strong, or I've heard on occasion, stronger than before. Um, even if that is technically correct, you know, in like a small laboratory biomechanical study, it certainly does not hold true uh, in terms of the clinical outcomes. Uh, so it is uh, very frequently a life-defining moment. So athletes, uh, uh, some of them, you know, again, we don't know. Uh, and that's the other part of the equation, the research that is coming out. Um, there may be a, a small subgroup who do well, either conservatively or, or, or surgery. Um, it is entirely possible that having an ACL reconstruction increases the chance that you'll go back to pivoting sports. Uh, but then looking at in the longer term, and of course, when you have an 18-year-old, 
what happens next year or the year after is not the most important thing. You know, obviously what right. happens 10 years down the road is, is just as important. And we know that unfortunately these athletes, they are at a very, very high risk of developing the osteoarthritis to the point that they are facing quality of life. Um, again, that's not how we start the discussion <laughs> uh, for some, with somebody who just tore their ACL. But uh, it is crucial, and I do think we fail doing that at the moment, not only here in Australia or the U.S., but probably all over the world, we do fail to communicate uh, accurate information to our patients, uh, either in the effort to push for an ACL reconstruction or in the effort to push for conservative treatment, uh, or very frequently just because it's difficult as humans to deliver bad news. Um, so, you know, delivering bad news, no matter how sugar-coated to uh, people, you know, is not, is not an easy thing. But I do think as clinicians, we do have this responsibility to have these difficult discussions. Um, and, and when we educate our patients, then, you know, again, we, we don't make the decisions for them. They'll make the decision, but it's going to be a more informed decision. Um, they'll have more realistic expectations about the outcomes. Uh, and uh, I think we'll be surprised how many of them they actually decide to give up playing soccer or basketball uh, because, uh, you know, they, they may think that this is a way to avoid having an ACL reconstruction uh, or this may be a way to preserve their knees for longer. And can you give an example of, let's say, you have this patient in front of you, it's an 18-year-old female, she just tore her ACL, long-term for her is a year. Do you know what I mean? That's right. When you're a teenager, you're not thinking what you're going to be doing at 30, you're thinking of what you're going to be doing in a year, maybe six months. So yep. she, she just tore her ACL, she came to you for her first visit of uh, physical therapy, she has not had surgery or anything like that yet. How, what, how do you begin that conversation and how would that go? If you can give a little snippet of maybe what you would say to her. Yeah, well, I guess inevitably the discussion will come around uh, conservative versus surgical management, uh, or it may be that the patient is saying that, well, I, I've seen the orthopedic surgeon, I have surgery scheduled for uh, a month. Uh, again, you know, my experience from my clinical practice years was that very frequently, if not always, patients ask the physical therapist's opinion about, well, you know, even if it's just a confirmation. Um, so I do think that's a good opening to have a discussion and, and at the first point assess how, uh, how, how accurate is the information that they have. Because of course, you know, everybody Googles uh, things nowadays and the top results are not always uh, the most accurate. Uh, so I would, uh, you know, try to, to assess what, what, uh, what is their expectation, you know. So if they think that, again, that surgery is going to fix my knee and I'll never have to worry about it, and they say things like, well, my ACL will be just as strong, if not stronger than before, or, you know, they may want to say that, well, I know that uh, I'll have to suffer through surgery in the recovery uh, initially, but that means that my knee will be back to normal, so, so things like that then I will, I will try to uh, see how open they would be to actually knowing the more accurate information. Um, I would say that patients, you know, uh, they, they're very 
team to know that even though they may not be what they want to hear uh, and they may not absorb and understand this information initially, but at least I, you know, I, I think it's important that we try. So I think in this case, I would just try to have a discussion and say, well, listen, you know, like uh, let's sit down and look at your goals. How important it is that you play soccer, you know, in the next three months or six months or nine months, then talk about, well, ACL reconstruction means you're not going back to sports for at least another nine months. Uh, give them the studies, you know, if they're still not believing me, um, talk to them in, in details about the research and uh, how there is very good evidence at this point that waiting at least nine months is a very good idea. Uh, and then talk about, well, you know, then there is a subgroup of people who do well with conservative treatment, especially if they decide to give up uh, some of the pivoting sports, the more knee risky sports, um, and see if they're open to that. You know, like I've had patients where I had these discussions and they said, well, you know what, basketball is the most important thing in my life and I really want to go back to it. Um, I do think these are maybe good candidates for, for an ACL reconstruction um, because again, conservative treatment has its advantages. Uh, and we're physical therapy, so we want everything to be dealt conservatively. However, I do think that it is really risky to, to, to advocate to all patients for conservative treatment, including those who want to return to a high-level pivoting sports. Uh, and then they have having the subluxation episodes where the menisci are being torn and then the cartilage uh, is being destroyed. Uh, and, you know, we obviously have a responsibility when things like that happen and we should try to avoid them. Again, there may be patients who say, I don't care, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the risk I take and, and I respect that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've made similar decisions in the past about my health and my life because sports were uh, very important to me. Um, but I do think there is a big difference between making this decision because the patient is convinced that this is the best approach versus making this decision because I assess the uh, risks and, and the benefits of this approach and I still decide to go back to sports uh, on an ACL deficient knee. Um, so again, you know, the, 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 these are some of the discussions I would have. Um, of course, the then if you tell patients, well, conservative treatment is a possibility and you talk to them, well, there seems to be a subgroup of people who are ACL deficient and they still do very well with no osteoarthritis and participating in high level sports. The question that comes up is, well, can you tell me if I'm one of them? Yeah, and exactly. Yep. And sadly, that's, we, we don't have good data to know who's gonna do well with conservative management at this point. So a lot of this is a trial and error. Uh, so as long as I have good communication with the patient, and then as we progress, sadly, you know, we don't frequently get to see patients where they go back to sports. But if you educate them that, you know, like go back to sports, be reasonable, play 10 minutes of basketball first, see how you go. But if you do start experiencing subluxation episodes and, you know, or, or a lot of knee pain or a lot of swelling in your knee, then that's when you really have to reconsider if a mm -hmm. uh, conservative approach is the right for you or, you know, uh, stick with the conservative approach, but don't play these type of sports that, that keep hurting your knee. Um, there was a bit of data that came out of the Oslo-Delaware study uh, that looked at predictors of 
uh, success with a conservative protocol. Uh, being, being female was one of the predictors. Uh, being older, again, not surprisingly there with a lot of these orthopedic conditions, you know, being a bit more mature uh, has uh, its advantages in knowing how your body reacts and then changing your activity level. Um, doing very, having good uh, power uh, symmetry as assessed by the single leg hop test, uh, less than 10% differences between the two legs, and then having uh, high functional scores. Uh, in this study, they used the CUS ADL, mm -hmm. nothing of the functional knee scale studies uh, could give you this type of information. Um, and that will probably give you some early idea of whether somebody would be a good candidate for conservative treatment or not. But again, you know, probably the most important thing is to, to, to understand that this is a trial and error approach. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at those criteria from that was the um, Azo Delaware study, when were, they, when were they making these assessments? Like how far along after injury were those assessments being made? Yeah, okay. So, so in this study, they actually did that twice. So they did it once uh, shortly before, uh, after the injury. And when they started, uh, they entered in, into the study. Uh, and then they did it after the end of a rehabilitation protocol. Um, very similar uh, variables came out in, in these two regression equations that, that, that they did. Um, but, but yeah, of course, you know, if you do go down the path of conservative treatment, uh, I think doing a very thorough uh, and intensive uh, physiotherapy protocol would be essential. Yeah, for sure. And now I'm just to kind of revisit uh, my question before, I just want to recap to make sure that I've got this, is mm -hmm. if that patient is in front of you who has an ACL tear, they have not had surgery yet, but they've gone the route, maybe they've gone to a surgeon, usually they've gone to a surgeon and then they come to the physical therapist. That's just how it works here in the United States. I'm sure it's pretty similar in Australia and other parts of the world. But the discussion, the frank and honest discussion that we need to have starts with one, what does the person know? What does that patient know? Um, which I think is really smart and I'm glad that you mentioned that. What are their goals? Then share the research that we have now when it comes to return to sport activities because essentially that's probably going to be what their goal is going to be. And right. then um, you can talk about different subgroups of people who do well um, and show the benefits and risks of both conservative and uh, surgical treatment. So that way the patient can then uh, whether it be the patient, the parent, the coach, the whoever, all the relevant stakeholders along with it um, can then make an educated decision. Because like you mm -hmm. said, we, you don't make the decision for them. I don't make the decision for them. They have to kind of make that on their own. But I right. think it's, it's, that's a good way for any physical therapist out there listening to to structure your discussion with your patient around these, because these are very sensitive issues, especially like mm -hmm. you said, they're usually young, they wanna keep doing what they love to do. And so it's pretty sensitive. And so you have to have the wherewithal to deliver the bad news, so to speak. That's right, yep, that's exactly right. Um, <clears throat> so I do think the biggest obstacle here is to overcome the natural, uh, 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 the natural instinct of the physical therapist to not talk about these uncomfortable things and then 
if the patient you know lives in this world where they believe that uh, surgery is going to magically fix everything and my knee will be better than before or that uh, physical therapy is going to do its magic and you know because there was a case study at BJSM and there was a Premier League uh, soccer player who went back so I will have exactly the same outcome uh, Again, you know, that that's unrealistic and uh, as uncomfortable as it may be, uh, I do think it's our duty to uh, communicate some of the harder science, you know, and some of the actual data, which is not great, you know, especially for the long term, but even for the short term, you know, Claire Alden, she, she has shown that uh, actually fewer people than what we thought, because back with Donald Shelburne's data, we thought that more than 90% of people have a successful ACL reconstruction return to sports. Now we actually think that's about two-thirds of them. Mm -hmm. um, again, you know, in all fairness, some of them, they may decide that they don't want to uh, go back to sports. They may be at this stage of their life where, you know, family work becomes busier. They don't want to have to deal with another ACL injury, so mm -hmm. it may be a choice. Um, but, but again, you know, like 50% to two-thirds of people return back to sports within the first year to two years. Um, so again, you know, that, that also shows that, that even though we all have these examples in our mind on the page, we're very uh, adamant about going back to the same level of sports as before. I think once they, you explain to them or, or experientially they realize that, well, this knee is not the same as before, uh, they more commonly than we thought before make the decision to change the lifestyle. And that's the tricky thing. And that's the other thing we discussed in the editorial that you want them to be active. I mean, there's obviously, you know, well-documented benefits of maintaining good physical activities, especially as you go into your 30s and 40s, right? Um, but, uh, uh, so we don't want to discourage them from doing sports. It's just that the nature of the sports may be different, uh, especially if they keep having subluxation episodes. Yeah, and, you know, I think the, the, the interesting thing about return to sport is two-thirds may return to sport, but how many are returning to performance? How many are returning to the high level of play that they were playing before they were injured? Yeah, yeah very few. And uh, that's was, even smaller. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah, my lot smaller. Even at the very high levels where obviously time and money is not as much of an issue, they have access to really good uh, uh, equipment and, and clinicians. Uh, but there was a really nice study that was done at, that they looked at soccer players in the top leagues in Europe. So it was like five different uh, top leagues, like, German, Spain, and France, and so on and so forth. And they looked at performance. So most of these athletes, they returned to sports, but when they looked at how many goals they scored, how many minutes they play, how many passes they completed, uh, that, that went way down and it stayed lower for actually years after the ACL mm -hmm. construction. So there is an obvious effect on performance, as you would expect, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's not, that's not unreasonable. Uh, what is unreasonable, but people choose to believe is that surgery will magically fix everything or physiotherapy or, or very commonly the combination of the two. So, so a lot of athletes, uh, especially those who perform at higher levels, they say, well, okay, I tore my ACL, it's a setback, but I'm going to have surgery really quickly, do tons of physiotherapy, and then uh, my knee will be better than before, so I'll return back stronger than before. Um, 
And especially when it goes to the timing of surgery, you either have it in the first couple of days, which very frequently is unrealistic in most healthcare systems, before the inflammation sets in, or you wait a few weeks uh, mm-hmm. until the comes down. You know, doing doing the acute inflammatory phase is quite dangerous because it can increase the risk of arthrofibrosis. Um, so a lot of these, you know, uh, intuitive instincts that that athletes have, they don't necessarily uh, uh, they're not the best decisions Um, and again how do you change these perceptions a lot of them and we're discussing earlier that uh, our profession and I think medicine in general um, there is these beliefs uh, that have been uh, deeply ingrained in people for through the media, through their parents, through a lot of you know, the education that they had before, uh, and, and they're not always correct. And then changing that uh, is really difficult. Well, you know, you're looking at someone making a, changing a very emotional decision to a very rational decision. And when you're in it, it's very hard to be rational. Of you course, know, yeah. when, when, you're, when you're the one with the ACL tear, it's very hard to be rational. When you're the one whose livelihood depends on, mm. I have a 100% success rate yes. with conservative treatment as an example, quote unquote, that's a very emotional, uh, that's an, a very that's emotional argument. argument to have. It's not rational, it doesn't go, like you said, it doesn't follow the research at all. But yeah. all of a sudden, you're livelihood is tied into it whether you're the surgeon the physiotherapist or the patient and so what we're trying to do here and what i appreciate about the editorial is that you're trying to make a balanced rational decision on a very emotional hot point item yeah, yeah which cannot be communicated in the 140 characters uh which is actually it's it's more now, isn't it? Two hundred and eighty. So don't, I think oh. you have twice. You have twice the chance to communicate that. <laughs> yeah, we'll try two hundred and eighty characters, but it may be more complex than that. Yeah. Uh, or we may not not be very good uh, at communicating complex concepts with these, you know, series uh, uh, limits, character limits. Um, but yeah, the, the and I think that you know, if we're going to talk about some of the challenges, is that. That's not a very, uh, that's not a message that people want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people want to, to either, and we see that in social media, sadly, sometimes, you know, uh, retweeted or, or, or reposted on Facebook by some of the professional associations without a lot of evidence behind it, uh, where we either talk about surgery, that's, that, that's never the right solution, and, and that's obviously wrong, actually, for a lot of patients had an ACL tear, uh, having an ACL reconstruction with an experienced surgeon and after a discussion and understanding of the limitations of surgery uh, may be the best solution. Um, and and uh, frequently, you know, discussions about people promising that physiotherapy fixes 100% of the uh, ACL tears uh, and people can return to pivoting sports with 100% certainty. And again, you know, that's too good to be true and there is no data to back this up. Five years from now, hopefully, we'll have more understanding about who does better, who's a better candidate for surgery, and who's a better candidate for conservative treatment. And who, honestly, and this may be the larger group, is a better candidate for changing the sports that they do. Uh, and again, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges communicating that. Nobody wants to hear that. No. Yet, 
that may be wise advice, you know, like if you, uh, especially for those who had multiple ACL injuries, you know, like uh, no matter when we were working together, we had a few patients who every season they would come to uh, the clinic with a new knee injury. And after you tore your ACL three times and your MCL twice, then it's time to think about the long-term consequences on your knee and that this is the knee that you'll have to live with for the rest of your life. Um, so, you know, educating these patients about lifestyle changes or at least raising the, starting these discussions may be a really good idea. And that's where we fail, you know, I would say. Again, not everybody, but a lot of the clinicians, orthopedic surgeons and physiotherapists, uh, they, they fail starting these discussions, these difficult discussions. Um, so yeah, you know, like uh, that, these are not things that can be communicated. Because a lot of the information now is communicated through the social media. Mm -hmm. Or Nobody Dr. Google. Or Dr. Google, right? Uh, very few people have uh, the patience to read through three pages of editorial. But I do think the, the, this, this editorial on sports medicine is short. Uh, it's, uh, we believe it's very balanced and evidence-based. And I do think that people who treat patients with ACL tears, either conservatively, surgically, or, or, or guiding some of the patients with making these decisions, uh, they, they'll find it useful. Uh, and I would even give this out to the patients, you know. Uh, this is something that most of the patients, they can understand and, and relate to. And that may work around, and I've used that as a trick in the past, that, you know, once the discussion became a bit too difficult and emotional, I would just give them a paper to read as long as it's written, you know, uh, in, 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 in pretty simple language. Um, and then, you know, say, well, if you ever want to read some of this information, here's a paper that I would recommend on the train, the subway ride back home in New York, mm -hmm. uh, read and if you want. And that kind of works around the face, the emotional aspect of the face-to-face -face discussions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now, is there anything, did we miss any key points in the editorial that you want to hit before we kind of wrap things up? Uh, no, I think we discussed the, the yeah. main things there. Uh, I guess one thing is about the utilization of uh, physical therapy services. Uh, there was a paper that came out recently, and it was not exactly, the study was not exactly designed to address this question, but, but the message that came out in the social media is that patients who don't have a complete rehabilitation protocol, they don't do as well after an ACL reconstruction. Um, and, you know, especially in the United States, that's a big issue where health insurance is, they cut you off mm -hmm. before. You, yeah, way before, yeah. Way before. Um, uh, but I do think that currently there is not great data to support that more, phys more physical therapy results in better outcomes. I do think it does, uh, but it's currently not supported by data. So we do need more studies to look at uh, the optimal frequency and the optimal type of rehabilitation that needs to be done. Um, on the other hand, there was the, you know, the, the, the study out of Aspatar that showed that uh, uh, not having completed a proper rehabilitation protocol is a risk factor for injury. So again, a bit of a mixed bag there when it gets okay. to how intensive and uh, the rehabilitation needs to be. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think you know, we covered the main points of the editorial for uh, those who want more details, uh, if they want to email me or access the paper, uh, you know, in the Sports Medicine Journal website, they, they can, you know, uh, have um, uh, uh, more information there. 
they want to email me with any comments, discussions, um, you know, they yep. happy to that at the evangelos.papas at sydney.edu.au. Uh, and I'm looking forward to having some of these discussions progressing uh, and educating our patients um, more accurately and giving them uh, proper expectations uh, and you know just and, and also more research coming out in the next yeah. few years we have a lot of really exciting projects in this area that we hope are going to increase our understanding in years to come awesome well thank you so much and and for everyone listening we'll have uh yeah, Evangelist's email in the show notes over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com under this episode. And before we sign off, I just have one question left. And it's a question I ask everyone at the end of the interview. And that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a young clinician? So back in the day, working in New York City, so where you are now, what advice would you give to that Evangelos? Back in right, well, I guess what, what makes asking me this question different than your other guests is that I cannot lie very well because we're working together uh, back, <laughs> <laughs> back in the day. Um, you see, I guess one, uh, I guess there's so much advice, you know, I would change a lot, a lot of things, honestly, but... Uh, thankfully, uh, we cannot uh, turn back time and, and redo some of the things. But I do think, uh, and of course, that's part of a different era, you know, uh, we, I do think that back then I was reading the literature and I think now physiotherapy, you know, physical therapists do that very well, much better than, than my generation of physical therapists. So reading the literature, understanding more information is much, much more readily available back then. You actually have to go to the library and scan the, and print a, a copy of a, of a paper. Um, one thing that I took me a few years to, and actually I didn't realize that until I became a researcher, more active in research myself, is that back then I would read a paper and if it said that, well, this is the exercise that you need to do to activate the VMO, I thought that was that question was answered and yeah. it will never change. And 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 I had I was very rigid uh, even in discussion that I had with other physical therapists back then that this is how it should be done. Uh, while now uh, I would say, well, here's the current evidence. You know, there is a bit of evidence showing that, a bit of evidence showing some opposite of that. Uh, pretty much common to to the discussion we had about the ACL that sadly. A lot of the decisions depend on different shades of gray. Nothing is black and white. Very few things are really black and white. Uh, and, and that was frustrating as a clinician, you know. So I do think, and, and, and we try to educate our students here at the University of Sydney about that, because I think the earlier you do that for the physical therapy students, the easier it becomes to translate into clinical practice that, well, you know, it's a frustrating thing. You know, if you're expecting black and white answers, this is not the profession. Uh, but that does mean you don't keep enhancing and advancing your knowledge. Uh, you still do everything that you're supposed to do, but you should be quite flexible, uh, especially when you reply to a tweet, you know, that, uh, you know, instead of all capitals and exclamation marks saying that this is the way it is and Stop yelling. they're questioning. <laughs> right. uh, that, that, you know, having a more uh, Socratic debate, uh, you know, I would say is probably uh, a good idea. So that this is the advice, the main advice I would give uh, to myself. Back yeah, then. yeah, I think that's great advice. And I really loved, I wrote down um, that your decisions depend on different shades of gray. 
I've never heard that before. I really like that quote. So be prepared for that to be splashed all over Twitter. Oh, Twitter, um, that's fine. Yeah. That's perfect. It's like perfect for quotes. Um, but I think that's great. And I think a lot of physical therapists and clinicians will do well to remember that. Um, when it comes to their decision making with patients and and even with themselves. So great advice. Thank you so much um, You shared your email. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, I think my Twitter feed is at EV Pappas with double P I believe um, I think That's right Yep, I think so. Yeah yeah, yep. and if it's uh, not, if it's not, we'll 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 yeah, find it. You can link. To, yeah, you'll find it. Uh, your team will find it and put it on yes. the, on, the uh, on your website. Yes. Um, and and then you know my email. That's another old traditional. Uh, who would have thought that email now is the old fashioned the way? The old fashioned way. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 But you can write more. So I'm happy to have discussions over email. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll have, like I said, we'll have everything uh, under the show notes for this episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So Evangelist, thank you so much for coming on yet again uh, to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and don't forget to follow us on social media.